Welcome to the Sons of Technology Clubhouse. Ditch your fear at the door, take a risk, and enjoy the ride with your hosts, Joe Marquez and Kyle Anderson. Welcome, everybody, to another fantastic episode of the podcast by the Sons of Technology. We have a fantastic episode today because right now we have a lot of school districts uh, transitioning from distance learning to hybrid learning. But the question is, what the heck does hybrid learning mean? Because there's so many different definitions and so many different actions people are taking, but then are placing the hybrid label on it. So we're going to break down hybrid we're going to break down the hybrid theory. We're going to start a hybrid query into what hybrid actually is. But first, let's go ahead and introduce ourselves. Uh, we have a great panel here today of experts in education and just amazing all-around people. I'm going to go ahead and start with myself. My name is Joe Marquez. I'm the Director of Academic Innovation for Q and a lifelong learner and educator out of the Central Valley of California. And as always, my partner in innovation, Kyle Anderson. Kyle, please introduce yourself. Hey, 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 everybody. How are we doing today? Kyle Anderson coming at you from Las Vegas, Nevada, where I am a special education teacher. You can find me on Twitter at Anderson EdTech, same with the Instagram blog, AndersonEdTech.net. Book To the Edge Successes and Failures Through Risk Taking, available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and through my publisher, EduMatch Publishing. And Joe, I got to say, I could always count on you for a great late 90s, early 2000s rock reference going with the hybrid theory, Lincoln Park, Chester Bennington, rest in peace. So great little uh, little reference right there, as always, because you can pull those out every now and then. I think we had a Counting Crows one a while back. And then I feel like uh, in a Marco Polo the other day, I actually had to get after you because you had a great opportunity at a disturbs down with the sickness pun and you missed it. So I had to correct you on that one. But it's uh, always a pleasure to have these conversations with you. And also it is a pleasure to bring in our good friend Kat Goyette into the conversation who is joining us again today. Kat, how's it going? Hey, it's going great. Glad to uh, be back. It's been a while. Uh, this whole, uh, all the global pandemic and everything has made uh, life uh, quite different for many, many people. I'm sure many of you listening as well. Um, but yeah, glad to be back. I'm Catherine Goyette. I am uh, currently in my day job. I work for a county office as an educational technology and integrated studies consultant, kind of like a tech coach. Um, a co-author of the book, The Complete Ed Tech Coach, an organic approach to supporting digital learning. And um, you can uh, catch uh, information about me at wonderexplorelearn.com. And we, we can't forget, if you're looking for recommendations on beer, you know, we, we have a great person here, Kyle Anderson, who can do that. But if you're looking for a great recommendation on wine, Catherine Goyette is the go-to resource for that. So, I mean, we can talk more about that on, on probably Kyle, your other podcasts. We can definitely do that. But today we have a really big discussion, but little teaser before we get to that, I really want to give a shout out. Um, to a brand new Facebook group that has been created with some amazing educators involved. It's called Fit Edu. It's about educators giving uh, support and advice to fellow educators on getting in shape, not only during the pandemic, but for keeping it rolling during your move to hybrid or back into face-to-face. And so if you are an educator looking to get into shape, looking to get fit, we do welcome you into the group. It is an open group. And we just say, you know what, if you want that support and you want that uh, encouragement, please come in and join us. So I just want to give a shout out to that group. Now, um, and, and oh, and also Kyle, the uh, reference you had to down with the sickness, um, that, that is a, has a special place in my heart because when I first started running back in college, um, I, would, I would run with my original uh, uh, MP3 player. And this was not an iPod, iPods were not in existence. This was the Creative Labs MP3 player, which was the size of a DVD player. And so that thing just like bounced on the side of me the entire run. And I still have it to this day. But every single, I would have a playlist for my run. And, and I knew where I was at during the playlist, making sure I was keeping pace. Um, and the very first song that I started running to was Down With, with The Sickness by Disturbed. But I replaced all the words with Down With The Quickness to get started on my run. So there is a, there is a, 
a reason why I love that song so much. And in fact, with Pavlov's dog's theory of, of that bell ringing and saliva happening, every time I hear that song, I start sweating. It just happens, right? All the way through. So let's get back on track. So today we want to talk about the hybrid theory, right? The hybrid query. What is hybrid? How do we define it? How are others defining it? And how can we help educators understand which hybrid theory they're in? And how can we give them some good advice? Even if it's even if we don't agree with the the model that people are talking about, how can we get them through that model? Right. So let's let's do a roundtable. So hybrid to me, the, the defining definition of hybrid is a mixture of two components blended together to make something not not completely new because you can still see the sum of the different parts, but but something that is is, is presented in a new fashion. And to me, the number one probably reference to hybrid that our listeners probably have is the hybrid vehicle. And to me, a hybrid vehicle uses gas when it needs to and then transitions to a battery when it needs to. It's not using gas and the battery at the same time, maybe for minor functions like the clock battery or this or that. But to run the actual car, it's either running on the battery or running on the gas. It's not running at the same time. To me, that's what hybrid is. Now, when we're talking about a mixture, I, the, the scientist in me, right? The eighth grade science teacher in me automatically goes to the definition of a mixture. And the definition of a mixture is two parts that combine, but maintain their individual properties. There's a homogeneous mixture, homogeneous as what the scientists say. And what that means is you have the, you, you have these two parts combining that it looks the same. Like think Kool-Aid, you mix sugar and water and the Kool-Aid packet and you mix it together. They don't form a new substance. It's a mixture, but you can't tell where the Kool-Aid or the, the sugar ends or the Kool-Aid packet begins. You can't tell that. And then you have a heterogeneous mixture where you can see the different parts, like a salad. You can see that there's tomatoes and lettuce and cucumbers and whatever you like in that salad, right? So if you have to say that a mixture is defined by either homogeneous or heterogeneous, we have to define hybrid in terms of, is it happening at the same time? Is it happening at different times? How is this hybrid theory query going down? So I, I wanted to make sure that we start with that. Now, speaking of which, this podcast is a hybrid podcast because we have lots of different voices combining to form something amazing. And we just have a new individual joining us now, Doug Konopelko, who is one of my amazing friends out of the Florida area. Doug, welcome to the show. So Doug, we are talking about hybrid models and we're talking about how there can't just be one definition of hybrid because there's so many different ideas of what hybrid is. So we're going to go around with the round table right now to talk about what is your definition or favorite hybrid? And what do you think about all these different models? And I want to go to Kat really quick because you you mentioned a term that I, and I feel very sad about this. I didn't, haven't heard that term before. I had to pretend like I did, but high flex. I didn't hear, I didn't, I didn't even understand what that, that was until you well, had to explain it to me. So I, I am almost glad that you hadn't heard the term high flex uh, because I personally, I'm not a, a it's not my uh, number one choice for a uh, model uh, for the pandemic. Um, and it really is something that was used when you, in fact, I've gone on Twitter quite a bit and put, the, put in the hashtag HyFlex um, to get information about it because I, I am going to be supporting schools that are going that, way, that route. And it really had, there's not much out there. Um, so perhaps it's because as you said, people just didn't even know that the term existed. Um, but it was really largely begun at the college level. So what high flex means is you're talking about uh, combine, combining things and mixtures, Joe. And so what they do with the high flex model is um, as a teacher, I would be teaching students in my room in person. And simultaneously, I would also be teaching students that are joining me via a video platform such as Zoom or Google Meet or what have you. So it is... Um, it is a model uh, that again began in the the uh, high um, the higher education setting, 
Um, but because of the COVID crisis, there are some schools that are opting for, uh, for this, uh, this model. So kind of to answer your question too about what are the different models you had a pretty open-ended question there, Joe. So, um, you know, I, the from all that I've read with with high flex and such, it's it's quite exhausting because you've you've got kids in front of you, you've got kids um, on a screen, and you're trying to manage all of them at once and try to get them engaged. Um, and that being said, um, you know, I'm working with a district that, with their uh, middle school and high school, they they cannot seem to find another way to bring any kids back. And so for them, they feel in speaking with all their stakeholders that this is their only option. And as such, um, you know, I'm doing all I can to find techniques and ways to help support them because that's where they're at. Um, but there's lots of other models too, um, like you said, Joe. Um, as so for me, hybrid, um, what I love is when um, there's, you know, I've got some, I, I think what's really most important with a hybrid model is that uh, it's customized. The reason we have so many different models is because we have a lot of different contexts and a lot of different situations. Um, I work at a county level, so I work with a lot of different schools, it's different districts, and I have one school, for example, that the numbers are approximately 60% of the parents want to keep their kids home for safety reasons, and, and that's their choice, and so about 40% want to come back, and so that can be done where they have 100% synchronous um, remote instruction, uh, you know, experiences for one group. And then they can physically bring back all those kids that do want to come back and still distance and be safe according to the protocols of the uh, health guidelines. Um, and then I have other schools where that's not possible. There are too many kids that want to come back. And so they have to split it. Uh, they have to have maybe ha the kids come every other day or there's a few that are, are remote with a different teacher um, or maybe in the afternoon. So there's lots of different models. Um, but, but to answer your question about high flex, uh, again, I'm kind of uh, glad actually that you hadn't heard that term. Well, you know, and Kat, even within high flex, there's different models of that as mm -hmm. well, right? Like think of like there's the webinar version, right? Where like if you are the teacher presenting to a live classroom and you have other people watching the webinar of that, they're not really participating. They're just watching and taking it in. So there's that one version of HyFlex. And then there's the version of HyFlex where they, they are part of the quote unquote studio audience where they can ask questions. They can unmute themselves. They can ask questions. So even within the HyFlex model, there's multiple definitions of what that could look like. But I will agree with you that that is the most daunting model for educators right now. I mean, listen, every, I mean, I know we're preaching to the choir, but just holding the attention and engagement of students in front of you is a daunting aspect, holding the attention and engagement of students back at home where, you know, among us is, 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 you know, probably on their iPad while you're talking. That's another question as well. Right. So, Doug, I want to bring you into this conversation because you've done a lot of research on the different models of what classrooms can look like, you know, during not during the pandemic, pre pandemic. So I want to hear from you. You know, when you hear hybrid, what is your instant thought? And then what are you seeing uh, different schools doing with the term hybrid? Yeah, appreciate it. So I think what's funny is it's obviously changed so much, right? I heard your, uh, I heard you talking uh, science teacher and I was a, a high school science teacher. Uh, so I got, you know, I got excited when you were talking about mixtures and, and all of that. Uh, you know, I thought we were gonna get into solutions. I thought we were going really deep for a while there. Uh, I thought that we were going to just take a, a, a left turn and just go full chemistry. Well, if you're not um, part of the solution, you're part of the precipitate. <laughs> so just remember <laughs> So I think one of the biggest things is just that uh, the model that we've seen, at least, you know, here in Florida, uh, that that has been, you know, I'd say really pretty closely aligned to what Kat was talking about, which, you know, we were calling the concurrent hybrid model, right, which is that, you know, at home and virtual at the same time has has become, I think, the model here, right? And, and we've seen uh, where a lot of it because of how things roll out at the state level, right? And sort of what the governor says counts 
as school really determines a lot of what happens state by state. So, you know, I, it's, it's really interesting to see the dichotomy as to what happens in a state like Florida, where almost everybody is in that concurrent model. And then uh, for my nephews who live in New Jersey, where they have not gone back face to face for a single day yet, they have been full virtual since March. So seeing just how different it is and seeing, you know, what that's like for the teachers, what's that's like for the students has been really interesting. Uh, I've seen some really phenomenal, I mean, even my son's teacher. So he, um, he was nervous going to school the other day. So they've been back face to face since October, but he was nervous going back the other day. All of a sudden his stomach really hurt at school, right? His stomach hurt and had to come home. But because of all the precautions they have in place, if somebody goes home from school, they can't come back for at least a full day, uh, regardless of what they go home for. So um, he was home the next day. All of the kids in his class have transitioned being back face to face. So he signs on, uh, you know, 7.30 in the morning, he signs on to the Zoom meeting and the teacher had put all of the kids on the Zoom meeting so he wouldn't feel uh, like he was left out being the only one at home, right? And I think what that shows, Joe, to your point is that what we've seen is people can so flexibly move between it where they've been forced into it, right? So obviously this teacher did not think, oh, I really want to be doing concurrent uh, virtual and face-to-face uh, -face this year, but because they've been pushed so far outside of their comfort zone, now her telling every student in her class, hey, get on your computers and get on Zoom, even in second grade, which is what he's in, it's, it's, it's just totally flipped what we thought about it would be like to get that many kids on the computer, right? We've, we've just seen that not just the teachers, but the administrators and everybody, you know, because they've had to and been forced out of their comfort zones to this area of high flex or concurrent hybrid or whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's, it's, it's definitely opened some new doors, but we have to be so super, super vigilant about burnout because of that. No, burnout is, is key, right? Because we, we, when this is all said and done, we don't want teachers to say, okay, I've done enough technology for the rest of my life. I don't want to even use it anymore. Get out your chalkboards and get out your this. We, we want teachers to embrace the technology and find a way to make it work for them, but we don't want to overwork them to where they, they, they go to sleep at night hating the technology, right? We, we don't want that to happen. So I agree with you 100%. Now, Kyle, you're, you're, you're in a situation right now where you're teaching all distance learning, right? But are you, are you hearing any parts of Nevada right now talking about hybrid or going to hybrid or maybe even your district talking about that move to hybrid? So my district in Southern Nevada is 100% distance learning and has been since last March. And we have not gone back at all. So Nevada is very unique. And I think I've mentioned this on the show before, whereas the state constitution for Nevada only allows for one school district per county. There are 17 counties in Nevada, which, and if you look at a map of Nevada, you realize land-wise, those are some enormous school districts because I think it's Nye County is one of the largest counties in the United States. And it's bigger than several states in New England is how big Nye County is. In fact, a friend of mine, Rob Williams, listener of the show, he works at the district level in Nye County out of Pahrump, which is in the southern part of Nye County. And he has to do work with all of the schools in that district. And there is a small school uh, in the northern part of the county that he has to work with. That is a six and a half hour drive away that he has to go visit on a relatively regular basis every couple of weeks. So uh, he'd be able to tell you a lot more about that. But uh, so other districts outside of where I'm at, some of them have returned to some face-to-face -face instruction. Um, I know my, my partner, Ben, on BREDU, his school is face-to-face -face for the most part. Uh, he does have classes that get shut down when somebody tests positive. Uh, that's an elementary classroom. Uh, it's pretty much hybrid in that district in Northern Nevada. And then my old district in Carson City has been hybrid for most of the year with a, a couple of shutdowns when numbers got a little bit high and they went distance learning. 
and whatnot. But again, my district is still 100% distance. Starting on March 1st, as of right now, kindergarten through third grade is going to be transitioning into a hybrid model. Uh, there's no timetable for any other students at this point. If I was to bet on this, I would bet that I am not going back to school in person for the rest of the year, just because of the way things are. And we're talking like almost six weeks out of, of transitioning to a hybrid just for the K through three population of the district. And there's, but I haven't heard any other details about how that's going to happen, what it's going to look like. And there's been parent surveys that I had to complete one because my son's in kindergarten, my daughter's in third grade. So they're both affected by this. And they're telling us that if you want to send your kid back, you'll obviously click on the hybrid part of that survey. If you intend to stay distance, click on that. If you feel that you would like the kids to go back, but want to change your mind later on, click on that hybrid because it's going to be a lot easier to take a kid from hybrid and put them back distance versus the other way around. So right now, I mean, just there are so many questions that are unanswered and nobody has an answer to them. I, I honestly don't know if the people at the higher parts of the district have any answers to this at this point. Um, and, and it's been frustrating because it almost feels like the media is getting wind of these things before anybody else is and they're putting stuff out. So that's just causing more confusion. I don't want to say misinformation because we're in it. We're told the, the very similar things that end up in the media after the fact. It's just disappointing that the media is saying, saying those things first. And I'm not laying blame on anybody or criticizing anybody for that because, you know, the media is going to do what they do with, with information. When they get a hold of it, if it's a way to generate headlines and traffic to their apps, websites, whatever it may be, they're going to do what they do. But I digress. Moving on. Um, when it comes to what that should look like, uh, with Kat's whole high flex explanation she gave, and, and Kat, you did a great job of explaining that and making it more clear for myself. I'm sure listeners are appreciating that too. I'm just going to be blunt. To me, that is the dumbest thing in the world. To sit there and expect a teacher to control a classroom full of kids, not full, half full, whatever you want to look at, but then also address either questions that are coming in on a chat or being unmuted at the same time, or checking emails after the fact, if it's more of a webinar style and trying to work with those kids. To me, that is just, that is bonkers. That is just off the wall and ridiculous. So to me, a hybrid model should be more of, you're going to have half of your kids in that class. You are going to focus on those kids that are in your room at that time. The kids that are not with you at that time, that's when you have other activities for them, whether it's pre-recorded lessons, whether it's other activities that they would do. Sometimes they would do them in person. Sometimes they wouldn't do them in person. So you still can have office hours during this time as well, which I have office hours every day for two hours where students can come and see me and ask questions or get clarification or heck, just show up to chat. I have a I have a couple of kids that show up in my office hours just go, hey, what's going on, Anderson? How was your weekend? Kids need that right now. I need that right now. So I, I will stand by everything I've said before on the show that having these conversations with the three of you right now is therapy for me because we cannot get together and do things in person that often right now. And I mean, I don't have all the answers to what a hybrid should look like, but the high flex to me is putting more undue stress on educators and kids than it has to in a situation where we already are stressed out and Doug, like you said, pro approaching that burnout stage. And if any and if any districts are looking at doing more of a high flex, I really hope they reconsider and think about how they could uh, put together a better model. Because again, that just that burnout is going to happen. The stress is going to happen more, and it's just it's not necessary. So, and then. Yeah, so in, my personal situation, I know the vaccines are starting to roll out. It is an absolute mess where I'm at with how that's happening. I personally, I don't feel safe enough to return until that vaccine is in my arm. And luckily I'm working in a district where I'm, go I'm gonna have the option that if my school district returns to a hybrid or full face-to-face, -face, that I have the option at least through the end of this year 
that I do not have to return to that in-person situation if I don't want to and don't feel safe enough. So, but as soon as that vaccine's in my arm, I'm going to feel a lot better about going back. But again, I don't know when that's happening because it is uh, the, the, the information that's coming out is all over the place on vaccines. So, so everything you said there is, is, is great, right? Because, you know, teachers need to feel safe in order to return, right? In order to be the best they can possibly be. But I want to ask the group, how many of you think decisions that are being made and placed upon what their hybrid model must be is based upon just historical context of what they think a bail schedule should be, right? How much of this is because they're trying to place a face-to-face model into a digital environment? And I'll tell you, at the very beginning of this pandemic, I, I ranted and raved, right? Ranted and railed, I guess I would say about having kids having to raise their hand digitally and physically ask if they have to use the restroom in their own home, right? Or, or saying if they're wearing a cap, a baseball hat or something, and they're told to take it off, should they? It's their own home, right? So now we're asking, should they have to be in a seat for a set amount of time if they're at home, or can they do that asynchronously? And I bring this up because in the high flex model, and I want to throw that out. I just, it makes me want to throw up saying that word. Sorry, cat. The concurrent hybrid model or simultaneous hybrid model, if that is forcing students at home to be in the seat, it, it really it's a disadvantage. Okay, if that's happening, if they're sitting in their seat at home learning, as I would say at the most a secondary thought really to teachers because we teachers are talking to the kids who are in the class right if that's happening is that a detriment to the students and is it because of the sacred bell schedule i want to throw it to doug really quick doug do you think the <laughs> sacred bell schedule has caused any of these issues in saying what we think hybrid should possibly be so I think it depends a lot on the context and also on what's been legislated for that state, right? So to to Kyle's point, like, and to what you were just saying, like, that is exactly how I felt at the very beginning of this. Uh, and for Florida, we didn't have a choice, right? So the, the governor had said that if you're giving uh, virtual instruction, it has to be the same as if it were in class. Right. So basically seat time was still a thing for our state. So what's happened and what I think is, is really interesting is that because we've been in it and there is no other option for so long, we've started to see the push and pull, right. Of what, of what's good, of what's bad. Like, I think what's really interesting, you know, our kids, they stayed virtual for the first three months of school. We kept them at home. Uh, we monitored cases. You know, I think what's, what's, uh, I guess, maybe a positive, if you could say that, that's come out of this is very, the, the schools are very in tune with what's going on with each of the kids a lot more so that, you know, if a, if a student is sick that has to get reported in a certain way, they have to follow up, like all those things have to happen, which I think is good, um, you know, compared to what it was before. Uh, I think the, I wouldn't say that it's driven by the bell schedule. I think what it's driven by is what's the lesser of the evils, right? When we get into, uh, you know, talking to chief academic officers and superintendents, the model, the concurrent model, one of the reasons it's really taken off, it's not because of the bell schedule, it's because of scheduling, because if I have a student who starts to show symptoms and I have to take six kids and move them home, if I had a model where my students or my teachers had less of a load of students because they, because some of their students are at home, some of the students are in school, once the students start to have to shift back and forth or a teacher has to start to shift back and forth, it makes it really difficult um, really, if you think about like a high school schedule, you know, again, here in Florida, I think in, in your states as well, these high schools are enormous. You know, the high school where I was an assistant principal, 2,700 students, and that wasn't even that big. Um, a schedule like that 
if you had to move certain kids in and out, it would really be pretty much impossible unless you could just do a one for one, right? Where that kid's already in the class, they're already on the schedule for that class. So there's parts of it that allow for students to make the most out of um, face-to-face with that model, but there still is absolutely split attention. Uh, The students are definitely not able to fully focus uh, on what's going on in the room when they're at home. You know, I mean, the first month that my kids were home, it was a constant, like, go back in your room, go back in your room, go back in your room. Um, And not in a bad way, right? They're seven and eight years old. They wander around all the time. So if they're not sitting in a room with 20 other kids who are sitting still, they're not sitting still, right? So they're coming out and then, uh, so just all of that, everything going on at the house plays in. So, you know, I don't know, I think Kyle mentioned it before. I don't know if there's a great model. I don't think there's one out there that, that works for kids, that works for teachers, that works for, uh, you know, what, what legislatively, at least at this point, they, they have to do throughout the states. Uh, I just think there's, there's a lot of models that have positives and negatives, and it's weighing which one can be enacted, right? So with, you know, what Kyle's going through is similar to what, you know, our nephews are going through in New Jersey, whereas uh, like Tennessee, I work with a lot of districts in Tennessee, they have gone back and forth between hybrid and home and in person and hybrid and home. So they've gone back and forth a ton. So I think a lot to be learned from districts like that are in Tennessee that could probably help a district in New Jersey or in Nevada who hasn't gone back and forth yet to sort of say, hey, listen, we've restarted six times already this year. Here's how not to do it, right? You know, so everything you said, Doug, is amazing. And I'm going to move to Florida just so that I can be part of your campaign to become superintendent of schools for Florida. So I just want to say that right off the bat. But I think this conversation that that, that is happening, we could have talked about standardized testing with that exact same answer. Like there shouldn't be a single, uh, a single data point that you need to point to that says it's going to work for everybody, right? There's so many different nuances to the, 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 the different constituents and the different states and the different counties that we have to be able to be flexible in, in this. And, and I think right now we are really testing out what is working, what is not. And I think it's very important, just like you said, Doug, for municipalities, for, for school districts to say what they've tried and what didn't work. Sometimes telling everybody what didn't work is better than saying what is working because it can get people to stop. Now, Kat, you are at a county office. Now, across, across the United States, county offices and districts, they work differently together, right? Sometimes more closely than others. But I, I want to hear your, your perspective also that, that um, hybrid um, options are, are because your county isn't isn't just one district, right? Are the different districts using different terminologies for hybrid and what is working and what is not? What are you seeing with your boots on the ground? I'm not seeing uh, differences in the terms, so to speak. Um, our superintendents all meet uh, very regularly now since all, uh, since uh, the COVID crisis started. So they're all kind of on the same page as far as verbiage. Um, but what is happening at each district can be quite different. Um, So we have, um, in our county, there's over, um, just over 40 districts and over 200 schools, and there's quite a bit of difference amongst them. So what's interesting, I want to go back for a moment to the question you had, Joe, about um, seat time, and is seat time ruling how these hybrid uh, decisions are being made? And in California, what really drove the conversations about how to, if at all, go back to school in part or uh, back to the physical campus um, in part or uh, in whole or, or what have you really had to do with instructional minutes. And the challenge was a misunderstanding of, first of all, um, it, 
when you're an administrator, you've got so many people, especially during a crisis, there are people contacting you from all over the place. You've got parents, you've got teachers, you've got community members, you've got your bosses, you've got your, and so it's difficult to sometimes read through the entire Senate bill and find out exactly what it meant. And so there was a lot of um, misunderstanding about the fact that while there are requirements for instructional minutes, it does not equal um, synchronous minutes, so to speak. So Kyle was talking about how if I've got a small group of kids with me, half my class, so to speak, and then the other half of my class at the same time, say in the morning, is doing something asynchronously, that counts towards my minutes. And then we can switch. And so other kids can come in the afternoon physically. They do some synchronous stuff and the other kids do the asynchronous. Um, and so that's a model that's actually been working pretty well in some districts I work with for elementary. Now we are not allowed to open 712 yet except with extremely small cohorts of special ed students, um, English learners, foster youth, et cetera. So um, we are just beginning conversations about a true hybrid, so to speak, with all students in the secondary levels. But at the elementary, that's worked pretty well um, because um, you've got, like Kyle, you have that attention with those kids. Um, but it was a challenge to communicate to those superintendents that we have to think of school differently. And that time with a teacher 100% with those specific minutes is not necessarily what's best and that those small groups might be better. Because as you said, Doug, um, when, our, when our attention is split between those kids, is that as good an education? So what I really talked to superintendents about was um, you're gonna have higher quality instruction if, stu if there's a smaller group of students here and then there's um, that you can work with for half the time than you would have otherwise with a lot. And we all know this as teachers, right? A small group of kids, we can get through a lot more stuff. We can really attend to their personal needs. So um, I will say with the secondary, it's been more difficult um, trying to figure out how that's gonna work. Like Doug said, um, and Kyle, I know uh, you're in a very large high school as well. Those schedules are just a bear. They're just, it's so difficult and um, you know, my husband is a high school teacher and tech coach and, and uh, he had a pretty good model where the kids, small groups of kids will come with like a certain teacher that they stay with. And so they'll do some asynchronous stuff later. They'll be with that one teacher like for periods one and three or whatever. And then they'll kind of stay for that asynchronous for five and seven with those same teachers or something. I, I can't speak to exactly what, what the model was, but it sounded pretty uh, interesting and the district was excited. So it must've been solid. Um, but um, I understand why districts and I have a couple districts that I'm gonna be working with that are going to that high flex hybrid concurrent, whatever you wanna call it model. And I get it because it's extremely difficult to find out how to make this work. And there is absolutely no ideal because this is not a good situation. This is, we're in, where we're at and we just need to do the best with 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 the circumstances we have so i applaud all teachers no matter where they're at because i know that they are working there they are working harder than ever uh to try to make all this work in a definitely uh not in a, a an ideal situation now now listen to all of this right I have to remind everybody that there is a portion of face-to-face -face work that we call independent work Right After we instruct our students, after we talk to our students, we then say, okay, now practice on your own, go off and work, you know, can't that independent work be this called the same thing as asynchronous hybrid, right? Now, from the, the district that I was from, we had block schedules. So we didn't see students every single day. We saw them every other day. And so we had blocks of two hours with them. And you better believe I had independent work in a two-hour time frame, right? So if we think about independent work as asynchronous, to me, it seems like, you know, the, the, uh, a hybrid model where you have students working at home one day and students in face-to-face face -face with the other day and you switch the next, that's just like a block schedule 
with independent work happening at home and discussion and questions happening face to face. And so what we really have to do is encourage teachers to find ways to identify what are they doing face to face? What is their cadence? How do they teach? Identify where their independent work is happening and just kind of flip it on its head and say, that's how hybrid should really be working. No matter what hybrid idea that the district uh, or county is looking at, how can we make it work, right? So, you know, Doug, going back to the scientists and ourselves, you know, how can we be part of the solution, not just be, be part of that precipitate, not just pulling out the bad, how can we be part of the solution? So I want us to focus on the two models, okay? The concurrent hybrid or synchronous hybrid where the teacher has to teach simultaneously to students at home and at school, but make them all feel involved. I want to talk to that, but also talk to how can we make the, the alternating hybrid model work, whether you're alternating face-to-face -face and asynchronous. So I want to have tools and ideas and thoughts about that as we go into this next section of the podcast. And I have to tell you this. Um, when I was a teacher, well, I, I, I was still a teacher. When I was in the classroom, let me say that. When I was in the classroom, I ran my class like this. And I would have, my, I would have back to school night or, or you, know, uh, you know, when parents would come in and they'd, they'd learn about the way that I run my class. And I'd tell them, we're going to be using Google Classroom as our LMS. Every day, your students are going to come in. The first thing they're going to do is read the agenda. The agenda is an assignment. It'll say everything that they're going to be doing that day and they have to mark it as done. That means they've read it. If your students are absent and they're capable, they must log in and do the same thing at home. I want them to be a part of the class even when they're at home. I would also say this, everything that I say in class is going to be recorded and live streamed via Google Hangouts to the YouTube channel. If they wanna be a part of the class, they can watch it. If they don't, they can watch it asynchronously at a later time. Everything I say in class is going to be recorded. And I would give a joke to my parents. And if you want to watch it on a Friday night as your movie, you can laugh and rejoice at what we're talking about in class all week long. And then I would say one last thing. I would say, and every single uh, presentation I give to my students will be done on Nearpod. And there'll be questions. So whether your students are at home sick, at home on hospital leave, uh, at the dentist office or on a trip, if they have access to Wi-Fi, and they have access to their Google Classroom as an app on their device, they can be a part of the classroom discussion. I said, don't tell them this, but they never have to step one foot in my class and they can still get an A because they have access to everything at home. And the parents are like, this is amazing. This is crazy. So when hybrid happened, when distance learning happened, I'm like, what's the big deal? <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, what's the big deal, right? But it is a big deal because not all teachers were doing things like that. So how can we take ideas like that, put them into the moment of now, but also put them into the moment of when this pandemic is over and we're back face to face, what strategies can they use to continue a blended learning style? So before I throw this to the group, I wanna tell you right now, I have that Eddie Murphy song from, this, from the 80s in my head, you know, party all the time, party all the time. That's hybrid all the time, hybrid all the time, hybrid all the time. Because I think you should teach as a hybrid teacher all the time. Everything you do in class should be documented in your LMS. And every single thing you do or say in your class should be recorded and placed in your LMS. No student should be left behind because they are absent. And before I throw it to the group one last time, I never had a day in my class where I didn't have a student absent. And I never had a student come in from an absent saying, what did I miss? I never had that. So how can we take that idea and strategy from distance learning to hybrid and back face to face to where teachers can embrace the technology and use it to work for them but also work for their students who may be missing class. So I want to throw it to the group. Anybody who wants to comment, let's do it now. Well, I think you got to take advantage of those tools that you have. So the ones that you were probably using during distance learning and that you're using in face-to-face, -face, you got to still use them. So I know the teachers that I work with uh, as a co-teacher on a daily basis, 
the one co-teacher is a huge fan of Pear Deck. One of my other co-teachers is a huge fan of Nearpod. So if you're in that con concurrent hybrid, you are running with your class in person. You've got a Pear Deck on the screen that's getting shared out on the Google Meet or Zoom or whatever it is. And those kids can participate in that as well. So for the other activities that are more independent work, you still can have the things like your ed puzzles and your flip grids and your quizzes, Quizlet, whatever it may be. So all those great tools that we've always talked about on various episodes of this show, those are things that we need to take advantage of. And I've already started to hear the rumblings from various people about, man, when we get done with this pandemic, I, I, I can't wait to stop using Canvas or stop using blah, 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 whatever it may be. No, this is the time to embrace it even further. I'm already turning wheels in my head and talking to my one co-teacher about how once we do return face-to-face, -face, how all those lessons that we're doing in algebra on Pear Deck, those need to continue to happen. So we can still engage the kids where it's anonymous, where they're not going to be embarrassed to get up in front of the class to do something. They can still do everything that's there. And then it'll just be a little bit easier because then one of us can walk around and, you know, look over their shoulder and give them that, uh, that the look. That, that look that we all know that we're good at there uh, to, to give them that little nudge and everything. And if it's in that hybrid, again, you've got the kids that are in front of you that are doing it. You got the ones that are online that can still be doing it. So, and then they have the quote unquote asynchronous options, the student led options and things like Pear Deck and, and whatnot as well. So, uh, you know, people talking about can't wait to get away from it. No, this is the time to embrace it even more. So you're going to hear um, Joe, you've always talked about it being the hermit on the mountain yelling at the top of your lungs, everyone thought you're nuts. Okay, that, that yelling should be getting louder at this point from, from us. I, I uh, like what you said, Kyle, about how, uh, or something that resonated with me and reminded me of something was when you talked about the teachers that are saying, oh, and we're back 100%, you know, back to normal, as it, who knows what that'll even be, uh, if it occurs again, but then, uh, you know, I don't have to use this technology anymore. And so I remember, Back at the beginning in the spring, talking with teachers um, that were that were you know being forced to go 100% remote, and they were feeling like there was a comment. Well, are we even going to use this again? I feel like I'm wasting my time. I'm making all these videos. I'm learning all these programs. I'm learning Edpuzzle. I'm doing all this. And what I told them was, you are still going to use this even if you go 100% back to the way things were before, because again, just like you said, Joe. If someone wasn't in my class, they didn't, it doesn't matter. I already made a lesson last year. I made in the spring when we were remote uh, because of COVID, I made this video screencasting how to, uh, you know, demonstrating how to do something. My lesson was recorded. And so I'll also say with that, the hybrid concurrent model and with the hybrid, regardless of what you're using, I, I completely agree that whether it's Nearpod or Pear Deck or Quizzes Lessons is actually pretty cool now too. Any of those interactive digital platforms are so important and so helpful, whether you are in person or um, out of the classroom. Um, similar to, to Joe, um, years ago, back in like 2014, I loved to use Nearpod in the physical classroom before, and these kids couldn't take their iPads home, but we still used Nearpod nearly every day because it, it is that engaging. Uh, so I, I would agree with, uh, with everything that you guys are saying. And um, I, I think a lot of teachers though, what I've seen more than not, more often than not, is that teachers are saying, oh, I see how I could use it in the classroom too. Those that are still at a distance. Um, so I am encouraged. I have heard a bit of what you're saying, Kyle, of some saying, oh, I can't wait to be done with this. Um, but I've heard more teachers say, I think I could use this to make my in-class instruction better too. And Doug, Doug, what about you? I mean, because I mean, you're, you're, you're a great mind, right? You have great ideas and great thoughts. What, what about you going forward into these different hybrid models? What is, what is, what would be your approach and what would be your recommendation if a teacher came to you saying, I don't know how to do this or why am I doing this when I'm not going to need it next year? What would be your advice to them? I think the biggest thing after, after we go through anything, right? After you work on a project, after you work on uh, implementing a new program at the district, you always have to have sort of like that after action report, right? You have to go back through with 
as objective a lens as possible and look at what did we do well? What did we struggle with? What are we going to take out of it that's good and use it for version 2.0? What are we going to take out of it and throw in the trash? And so I think the biggest thing is we've got to um, do our best. Right now, we're still living in it right? We, the, the jury is still out on everything that we're saying tonight. The jury is still out on everything that's going on in the classrooms. So I think the biggest thing we have to do is understand that, you know, as we get through this year, like Kyle is saying, his district may not see a student on campus this whole year, right? And they're going to be able to take some really interesting things out of that as long as they have some time at the end of this year to sit down and really say what worked, what didn't work, and not just based on uh, what people are saying on Twitter, right? Because I hate to, I hate to throw this out there, but five, six, I don't know, seven years ago, I'm trying to remember when I, when I started, I felt like Twitter was this great place where you got a million amazing ideas. And right now when I go on Twitter, it's like everything that anyone is feeling is wrong is what you see more of, as opposed to five, seven years ago. It was like, here's the most amazing resource I found. And you would say, oh, I'm really stuck. I don't know what to do. When like 17 people would come in and say, here's a great thing you could do. So I think that we've got to take some time do that sort of after action report. I think the end of the school year is a great time to do that. You know, people can obviously make changes and tweaks right now if there are things that they find that work. Uh, I think some of the things that have been shared here so far tonight have been some great examples, right? Looking at not just what's going to work for um, the administration on the scheduling, right? But how do we think about uh, the schedule in a different way? How do we think about uh, seat time, which is always an awful way to look at things. But how do we think about that, that learning time that yes, we had independent time in class, we had brain breaks in class, we had all this time that wasn't go, 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 go in our classrooms. Uh, and that doesn't mean that we weren't doing anything. It just means we were rotating through different models of learning. So I think if we're able to see some of that flexibility translate through, hopefully up the chain, right? Um, I wrote a post last year that talked about like all the different levels something had to go through to be like faithfully implemented in the classroom from where it started as like a bill, right? So it's like the bill on Capitol Hill on steroids for the classroom, right? And it just said, you know, this is something that has to be you know, for at least here, you know, we're talking about anything that they want to change legislatively, right? That has to go through, uh, you know, the state and then to the Department of Education, which then has to go to sometimes regional offices before it gets to, you know, a superintendent, to a department head, to a principal, to a teacher, and then to the student, right? And so all of these things that we're talking about are, are still happening in a system built around the legislative mandates from the other system. So I think hopefully one of the things that we'll see make its way up is that flexibility, right? So we've been doing it individually in the classroom anyway, um, but you know we have teachers who want to do everything by the book, right? They think a lot about what's the policy? I don't want to break the policy. We have principals who are worried about, uh, you know, losing their job because their policy or what they, they want to do in their school doesn't match with the district policy, which doesn't match with legislation. So I think the, the best thing that we could see out of all of this is flexibility and allowing, uh, even if it's not on the individual school level, at least on the individual district level, for more flexibility in things like what are we going to count as minutes towards instruction? Um, I think the other thing that I'm, I'm loving, and this is coming as somebody who I was a really good test taker. I loved standardized tests. That was like my jam as weird of a thing as it is to have as your jam. Um, but so like when I saw, I, 
it was either yesterday or the day before they talked about, you know, the subject SAT tests going away. I think as we start to see some of those drop off, I really hope that that's something that's more permanent um, because uh, those are systems that I feel like just sort of were perpetuating themselves. Like the only thing that mandated that system was needed was that system. So hopefully some of those things that just became hoops that people had to jump through that took away from the education experience of students uh, can, can become something that we can really start to mold the new system out of. I think that that is key, Doug, mold the new system. Because listen, we don't want to go back to normal, right? And, and we have to make sure that teachers are confident in what they're doing. So they're not bemoaning what they've lost because they haven't been able to teach face-to-face. -face. We have to make sure that they are encouraged to understand what they've gained by going through this distance learning experiment. And it's an experiment because it wasn't planned. It's an experiment because we're trying new things and seeing how they work. And we have to make sure teachers have to know that right now it is okay to be selfish. It's okay to be selfish, to find out what you are using and, it, and, and find out what is working and then pushing it out for your students. Because I will say the policy we should be following is the policy of finding out what works for our students. That's what I would say. And I would also say this, that we have to make sure that we are identifying why we are using specific tools. And we have to really put them into categories. Kyla and I had an episode a while back called, is this a game changer or a lifesaver? Is the app you're using changing the game of your educational profession or is it just saving your life for the moment? Identify the tools you are using right now that are game changers. And this is how you can identify if they're game changers. Are students who are normally quiet in the classroom more vocal in this distance classroom? Are students who are more trepidatious to answer questions in front of you more likely to answer questions for you? Are these tools allowing students to have a voice in classrooms they never felt they even belonged? Are these tools allowing us to build community with one another? If these are the, if you have any tools that are answering yes to this, they can be brought into your new line of teaching. You should not enter your classroom again, the same teacher that you left. You have gone through a war. You have gone through a game changing situation. You should not be the same educator who left on March 13th when you return. You should not be that same teacher. And we need to make sure that we are answering the most fundamental question. How do we know our students are learning what we want them to learn while we are teaching it? Not by giving them an exam at the end of the week or the beginning of the next. The moment you're teaching it, how do you know that the words coming out of your mouth are being interpreted as knowledge in the minds of your students? And that's why we should be incorporating more technology in general, because these tools allow for you to crack open the brains of your students and actually see if your teaching is working. And we should go as far as to be looking at our, our, our instructional design to incorporate UDL, right? Universal design for lesson, so that we are explaining things in multiple ways. So we have removed all roadblocks to understanding of what we are expecting out of our students, but also be incorporating UDL on the reception end of those lesson designs. If we're, if we're just asking our students to write a paragraph of what they learned, we are failing our students. They should be given the option to write a paragraph, record a response, make a video. We need to be uh, doing Adobe Spark. We have to give them multiple options and technology allows for that to happen. So we need to make sure that we are utilizing the technology as game-changing initiatives to better ourselves as the lifelong learners we always proclaim ourselves to be. Educators never stop learning. 
educators never stop growing. Educators never stop promoting that learning is the best course of action for our society. So we need to make sure that this moment, even though some of the procedures and policies and things that we were told, even though we don't agree with everything, we have to be selfish and we have to find what is working for our community of learners to be given a voice, to be able to showcase they know what they are learning in any fashion that they deem necessary. To me, that blows any definition of hybrid out of the water. To me, that's what brings any technology into a blended learning classroom when face-to-face -face becomes back to the normal teaching strategy. For me, that is where my passion lies. That is why hybrid all the time, hybrid all the time, hybrid all the time is what I'm thinking because you should be able to get the same knowledge from your face-to-face -face students as you do for the students who are absent because they have a tummy ache when we're back face-to-face. The tools that you're using now should fit that model and fit it like a glove, fit it like it fits, not like you're smashing a puzzle piece because you want it to fit because it fits perfectly. So I would like Kyle and Kat and Doug to leave some final comments to our group of encouragement in their model, encouragement of the tools, encouragement for the moment of now, for the prosperous future of the forever when we go back to not normal when we go back to better. That's what I want to know. So final thoughts from the group. I guess what I would say is that don't sweat the things you can't control. So if there's a format that you are moving into away from where you're at right now, and it's not what you want, not what you expect, you can be critical of it, but don't lose sleep at night over it. Do the best you can with the situation, because if you can't control it and you stress about it, it's just going to cause more harm than good. So I, I know with, uh, for example, if I was to go into some sort of high flex situation, I would be upset about that. But at the same time, I also know that I just have to do my best for what I have in front of me. So that's my biggest piece of advice. Instead of going on a Twitter rant, and talking about all the negatives and everything that's wrong with the situation, embrace what it is because you can't control it and just do the best that you can. With that, Kyle, I would add, uh, you are doing amazing things. Um, and it often doesn't feel like it, but that's because we are not in a situation that we've ever been in before. And so um, connecting with those kids, even if you don't feel that you're making that connection, you're there every day, um, whether it's, in person or online, um, show up and that makes a big difference to kids. So keep doing what you're doing. And uh, again, I, I love what Joe's saying. We're not gonna go back to normal. We're gonna go back to better uh, because we're gonna take all of this uh, time that we certainly did not, uh, we, we've learned a lot. I've talked to teachers that said, wow, I've learned so much, but now I'm kind of, I'm tired, I'm exhausted. I know, I know but um, it's gonna make us better in the future. So uh, thank you for what you do educators and um, know that uh, it's gonna get, keep getting better from, from here on out. Yeah, echoing that. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you um, to everybody out there who's crushing it for kids, who's putting in obscene hours. Uh, I think that one thing we, we could all be doing more of pandemic or not, keeping track of those silver linings from everything, right? From everything that we're doing. So whether that's, you know, with our families, whether that's when we're teaching, whether that's when, you know, for me working like, you know, this is my bedroom that I do all this work out of now, right? So I'm in this room for 20 hours a day, almost every day, you know, it, it, there are, there are silver linings to, to, to a lot of these things. And I think we've got to be really intentional uh, about recognizing those, not just in others, but in ourselves, because it's really easy to be hard on ourselves for the work we're doing. Uh, and when we don't have as much of that interaction with our social support systems, uh, it can really, things that used to fill the bucket can start to take away. So we've got to start recognizing 
uh, if that's keeping a journal of those things that are still filling the bucket of those things, those little wins that we're getting, we've got to make sure that we're able to focus on those to try to take some of that away because we know this is hard. So that's what I would say. Teachers, we can either define this moment by what we deem as our weaknesses, or we can shout from the rooftops and make make this make, put a, a flag in the sand and tell everybody what we deem as our strengths. And you peel back everything that's happening, every situation you're in, every single different kind of teaching model placed in front of you, you peel it back and you're still a teacher. And your still number one goal is to create community and confidence in your students to give them a voice and show them that education is a way to make the world a better place, not only for themselves, but for everybody else. You are still a teacher. You are not weak. You are strong. And you are one of the most amazing individuals in this world. But the thing about history is nobody sees history happening. They only see it after it's happened. And it's been defined by the people that stood up and made a difference. And you're making the difference right now. This pandemic is full of sorrows and heartache and loss. But the one thing this pandemic will not be defined by is by weakness of educators. You are the bright spot in our dark times. You are what gives me strength. No one ever said changing the world was going to be easy. That's why teaching is not easy. And that's why you are the most important person in history at any time right now. And what you are doing and learning and growing will only make you a better, a better teacher for when the time comes where people say, ah, oh, I'm glad we're back to normal. You will stand up and say, we are not normal. We are better. We are better because of this. And we will not relent. We will not go back. We will not atrophy. We will grow and prosper and our students will be better for it. So I just want to say thank you so much for choosing to be an educator, for choosing to be a teacher, for choosing to be a world changer. And I wanna say from the bottom of my heart that I love each and every one of you. God bless you and have yourself a very, very